Hi, good morning. My name is uh, Dave, and uh, it's a privilege to bring to you today the last of our five-part series looking at the Great Commission. We started off, um, first of all, looking in the book of Revelation, and in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, we picked up on the fact that the church very often is classified as being lukewarm. You're never not, you know, on fire for God, or you're not freezing cold and totally against the Lord. The church seems to be lukewarm. We have hot days and cold days. And on the back of that, we picked up on the fact that God's desire is that we would indeed be on fire. And we started our journey looking at the Great Commission by checking out what Jesus said at the end of Matthew's Gospel. And we read in Matthew's Gospel that we are told to go into uh, all nations, making disciples. So the call is that we are to go and to transform communities. Then we looked at Mark's Gospel. In Mark's Gospel, we picked up on the fact that in our going, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit and signs and wonders will follow. Mark just says something along the lines of the, the fact that, um, and these signs will follow those who believe. They will. And then there's a list of things that would happen. As we are filled with the Holy Spirit, not only words are given to us, but signs follow. And then last week we looked at Luke's Gospel. And at Luke's Gospel, there is um, that focus on the fact that before you go, wait. Now, the thing about it is that uh, some people never get out of the waiting room. The whole idea of a waiting room is you wait for something to happen. If you go onto the platform of a railway station and uh, your train is not going to be for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, something like that, they have this thing and it's called a, a waiting room. But the deal is you don't buy a ticket to sit around in a waiting room. You are in the waiting room because you are waiting for something else. And when your train comes in, the whole idea is that you get up and you fulfill what it says on your ticket by riding on the train. And the key for each and every one of us, children of God, is that we have been commissioned by God not to be waiters, but to be workers that we're going to step out into everything that God has for us to do. And then we come to this week. This week we're just looking at John's Gospel. And in John's Gospel, when we start to pick up on what it is to be a people who have a great commission, we read the words that, uh, well, I'll come to that in a few moments. One of the things that uh, I remember as a leadership team here at uh, Basingstoke Baptist Church is we some of us went on on a course and on this course we met this man this man's by the name of um, I'm pressing the button mark and it's just nothing's happening do you want to go for it flip it out there we go uh, Michael Harvey now Michael Harvey uh, had written a book and his book is called creating a culture of invitation in your church and as this guy was speaking to us as a leadership team, he was talking about the fact that most people are fearful of inviting people to church and to be part of what church is all about. And there are a number of reasons why. And this next slide, 
picks up a few of the things that Michael says. He says, you know, people say, I'm afraid I might do more harm than good. I'm afraid I won't know what to say. He says, I may not be able to give snappy answers to people's questions. I might invade somebody's privacy. I might... uh, I'm afraid that I might fail, or he comes up with this one is one, you know, people might see that I'm a bit of a hypocrite. The things that I say and the things that I do don't marry up. But ultimately, the key on this is the fear of being rejected. And Michael Harvey did something brilliant, and and as he was sharing with us and talking with us about how we can build a community where there's a culture of invitation he said the brilliant thing about it is everybody looks at success in evangelism as somebody coming and giving their lives to Jesus and he flipped that over and said no the success in evangelism is that people are empowered to invite thanks Matt Cheers, buddy. Just inviting is a win. The moment that you say to somebody, well, come to this, or we've got this happening, come along to this, that is a win. It's not that they have instantly given their lives to Jesus and now are are, are following Christ. It's the fact that you have started their journey with an invitation. And therefore... To be bold enough to invite, we've got to recognize that God gives us something. And that's exactly where I want to focus today when we look at the Great Commission from John's point of view. Look at these words. This is John 20, verses 21 to 22. Jesus says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Our first point here, when we step out as those fulfilling the Great Commission, we have the peace of God. This is what it says in the scripture, it says, peace be with you, receive peace. Now what happens, you see, more often than not, thanks buddy, what happens more often than not is we we get agitated and uh, we get all wound up. Well, the truth of the matter is we need to recognize that we have God's peace. Just asking people, I don't know whether it works for you as it does for me, asking people to do things sometimes causes angst. I'm getting better, but I'm not as good as I could be at inviting people to serve. There are loads of things that need to be done. And very often you think to yourself, well, I don't want to ask because I know they're busy or I know this is happening in their life. And therefore you don't ask and either the job doesn't get done or you end up doing it badly. I remember once saying to somebody who was traveling from one side of town to the church for worship every Sunday. And this guy and his wife came every single week. They were absolutely committed and regular. They drove from one side of town to the church every single week, without fail. And on their journey, they passed by another lady's house. And I said to this couple, I said, is there any chance that on your way to church every Sunday, you could just pick up Sue 
and bring her because she can't get to church. Would you pick up? Now, in my head, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, they come past her house on the way to church every Sunday. This is going to be a yes. And they looked at me and said, no. I'm thinking to myself, I, I don't know how to respond to this now. You've, you've, you've burst a bubble here. I don't know what to say. And then they went on to say, this is, and it made me chuckle, really. Well, actually, it made me quite angry, but then I chuckled afterwards. They said, no, because um, every Sunday morning we think about coming to church and we decide whether we are going to come or not. And if we have to pick somebody up, that removes our ability to choose because we are then committed to that person. So it doesn't matter how we feel, we won't be able to not come. But I'm sort of in my rationale, I'm thinking, I don't think you've missed a Sunday since I've been there. And I was there 17 and a half years. And I, think, I don't think you've ever missed a Sunday. But the thing about it is, the rejection, the turning around and saying no, disrupted me and caused my peace to disappear. And that's the key, you see. It was my peace that disappeared and I've got to recognize that when somebody rejects, they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting an opportunity to walk into something exciting with God. Look at these words here. Well, I'll move on from this. Why don't we have stuff because we don't ask? That's what it says in James. Now we move on. He who listens to me, he who rejects me or rejects you, um, but he rejects me, reje rejects the one who sent me. That's it. He who listens to you listens to me. And he who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. And then suddenly I get this revelation. My peace dissipated because I thought it was all about me. But the reality is, it's not about me. It's about what God is doing. And an invitation is an invitation to walk with God, to draw near to God, to be used of God, to know the peace of God. We know God's peace. When we are sharing our faith, when we are actively involved in the Great Commission, when we find ourselves silenced, very often it's because a fear and more often it's a fear of rejection but we need to remember that it's not us that's being rejected look what it says here in the uh, letter to the Thessalonians it says here that they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved you see the way of the world darkness is all about rejecting God offer an invitation they individual rejects that that's not rejecting you actually that's just the way people respond to God it says in John 15 if the world hates you keep in mind that it hated me first and that's a, an interesting one isn't it that uh, we've got to take on board that our savior was hated so as followers of Christ let's not be surprised that maybe we get the same reception The Great Commission is a commission to go. And it's a commission to go that has a foundation of peace. Peace I give to you. 
And this is the important thing, isn't it? Because we remember in the book of Philippians it says, and the peace of God. This isn't your peace. This isn't my peace. This is the peace of God. God desires that he will give you his peace. So that whatever comes your way, whether there is acceptance or rejection, we might know his peace. Another thing to remember if we look at what um, Jesus says to each and every one of us in John's gospel regarding the Great Commission is that we are called of God. So we have the peace of God, but we're also called of God. It says this, that peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. You're sent. You're sent. You've got a job to do. You know where to go. And God has said very clearly, this is what I want you to do. Now this is important though, because the scripture says in John 20, 21, as the Father sent me, so I send you. So we have to stop for a moment and just say, let's look at Jesus and ask the question, how were you sent? Well, he says very clearly that when we follow through the story of Jesus' life, we see that he was sent as a servant. He didn't puff himself up and say, you know, hey, look, I'm God's son. You better behave yourselves. He came to serve. So we are called as servants. We've got to love people into the kingdom. We're not going to chase them with big sticks because that doesn't work. What we recognize in the way that Jesus lived his life was that he was a servant in everything that he did. This is what uh, it says, isn't it? You know, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Give his life as a ransom for many. Mark again says, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last, and a servant to all. Let's recognize that in our, our reaching out to the world around us, let's reach out as servants. Is there anything that I can do for you? Let's lay a foundation of reaching the lost by loving the lost. The second thing that we recognize with Jesus is that he was um, humble. Humility was evident in his life. And humility isn't all about being the doormat. It's all about recognizing that, you know, I'm not number one. We often have that picture in our minds. I don't know um, if you have that same memory as, as I do. I remember there was a, a, a program adaptation of um, David Copperfield back when I was young. But uh, the one thing that I always remember about it was this guy called Uriah Heep. And I checked out Uriah Heep on the computer this morning and found there's actually a rock band called Uriah Heep. Well, this isn't that. U Uriah Heep was this very humble man. And uh, as the character develops, you, I can remember on the TV program of this adaptation, that it was this guy who sort of rubbed his hands together. Oh, I'm a very humble man. And that's not what we're meant to be, you know. Humility. Humility is all about having a um, clear understanding and assessment of who I am and who you are. And ultimately that is we are children of the King of Kings. We have to prove ourselves because he has proved us worthy. 
He says, I adopt you into my family. You know, when, uh, whether it be Prince William or, or, or Prince Harry, but, you know, they don't have to push out their chest and, and in any way express to the world around them that they are princes. They're princes and they know they're princes. And we've got to know that we are princes and princesses of the King of Kings. And just be humble. You know, I don't need everybody's affirmation because he has affirmed me just as he has affirmed you. Jesus knew who he was. It didn't matter what he did, how low it was. Do you remember that time that he picks up a towel, wraps it around his waist, goes down on his knees and starts to wash his disciples' feet? It was a humbling experience for all of those disciples to see that their saviour was also a servant. So that's how we are. We're humble people. But the other thing to pick up on is the fact that he was in obedience. So we are servant-hearted. We are humble in our attitude, knowing who we are. But we're also making sure that we align ourselves with what God is calling us to do. And he's calling us to go. Jesus' words were that, uh, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever his father does, the son also does. What are you doing, Father? As us, as the followers of Christ, we look around and say, what are you doing, Lord, around us that we can get involved in? And that's very often upside down. Usually we want to start something up. Whereas actually it's good to stop for a while and just look around and see what is he already doing and how can we be part of that and enhance that. Just as Jesus looked around, saw what his father was doing and got involved, that call is for us too. We are a people who are sent. But we are sent as Jesus sent this is what it says for us in luke chapter 4 reminding how jesus was sent it says the spirit of the lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners recovery of sight to the blind to release the oppressed to proclaim the year of the lord's favor He's sent. What am I going to do? I'm going and I'm proclaiming. I'm speaking. And we've looked at that in previous weeks, that we are a, a proclamation people. We've got a message to tell. And then in Matthew's Gospel, we re- realize that not only was he sent through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among the people, news about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain and the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. Not only have we got a message But we've got the power as well. Just as Jesus is sent, signs and wonders follow. And we picked that up when we looked at Mark's Gospel. John's Gospel, the Great Commission. We find that we have the peace of God. We are reminded that we've got the call of God. This is what we're meant to do. And the last thing to be mindful of, again, picks up a little bit more of what... Mark was saying is that we have 
the power of God. Look what it says here. It says that Jesus says to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. And here we find ourselves on this, the day of Pentecost. We often talk about today as being the birthday of the church, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on all people. The Holy Spirit poured out is that that is a pouring that is empowering that people have the Spirit of God living in them as they give their lives over to Christ. And because He is in them, their passion and their desire is to let Him out into the world around them. This is what we read in the book of Acts, talking about today, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. I always find that quite interesting, you know. How can you not be all together in one place? If you're one place, you're all together. Well, that's not true. You see, what they were saying is not only were they in one place, but their minds were attuned. There was unity amongst them. They were believing the same thing, hoping for the same thing, excited about the same thing, waiting for the same thing. Not only was there locational unity, but there was unity of minds and hearts and bodies too. The day of Pentecost came, they were all together in place. Suddenly the sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separating and coming to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues just as the Spirit enabled them. This was the day that church was born. The Spirit of God is poured out. We hear, we hear about the, 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 this uh, sudden blowing of a wind. Pneuma is the uh, Greek word, wind. Or sometimes you can translate that as, as breath. And when you start to think of breath, or, or the Hebrew word for that is a word called ruach. Ruach and pneuma, breath and wind. You just find yourself going back, and this is where I found myself in the book of Genesis. I don't know if you've read these words in a long time. But this is what happened at the very beginning when God was creating everything. When the Lord made the earth and the heavens, there's no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth. No plant in the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. And the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. It was the ruach, the breath of God that brought life to the man. I often read this passage, and when I read this passage, it, it um, helps me to understand why I don't dust my house. Because, you know, you never know when you're dusting. You might be dusting up somebody. So I leave dust, and, and Carol sorts that sort of thing out. But the thing about it is, dust plus breath, there's life. And it's the breath, the ruach, the breathing of God that brings life. And here we find in the book of John, he says, you know, and uh, the Holy Spirit is being breathed onto you. 
And the reason why the Holy Spirit is being breathed, he breathed on them, is that new life can start. And as we who have the breath of God in us, the Holy Spirit in us, we are given the brilliant opportunity of breathing life into other people. You see, each and every person who is a child of God has been born again. That's what it says in John chapter 3. There's this encounter with Jesus and a guy called Nicodemus. And this whole conversation talks about the fact that you must be born again. I can't go back to my mother's womb. This is a conversation that goes on. And he says, no, no, you must be born of the Spirit. And that's the only way that we can come into a relationship with God. Is that the Spirit of God gives us new life, new birth. And Jesus breathed on them, said, receive the Holy Spirit. The day of Pentecost that we celebrate today, the breath of God, the wind of God, the ruach of God, the pneuma of God has been poured out. We have it. We have the ability to partner with God to bring life to people. It starts, though, with life coming to us. And us allowing that life that God has given to us to transform us. We read these words in the book of Acts. You might remember the person that this is talking about. This is Peter, who before the crucifixion denied he even knew Jesus. Then there is the crucifixion. Then there is the reconciliation and the restoration that happens for Peter on the beach in John chapter 21 where Jesus asks him three questions. He gives three answers and there's that restoring that goes on. And then there's the filling of the Holy Spirit. The one who denied is now the one who's proclaiming. This is what it says. Peter stands up. With the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. He was one moment ago denying knowing Jesus in front of a servant lady by a well. Now he's standing up in front of thousands of people and saying, listen to this, fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And as you follow through chapter 2 of Acts, what Peter does is explain exactly what has had to happen what has happened and what it means, the good news of the gospel. And it says in verse 41, these very words, and those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's the difference that filling with the Holy Spirit makes. And that's what Jesus is promising each and every one of us. Go and make disciples, we're told, in Matthew's Gospel of all nations. Mark reminds us to go and preach the good news to all creation that signs may follow. Luke says, wait. And then John says, remember, as the Father sent Jesus, so he is sending you. And as we go, we go with his peace, recognizing We've been called to go. That we are called to be a brave people. To open our mouths. As well as sharing by serving with our hands. And know that we have the power. Can I just say to you today, you've got the power. I think there's a song that picks up on that. 
You've got the power. You have the power. And my prayer as we come to the end of this series is that you recognize it and you use it. This day of Pentecost 2021, as we go into the adventure of coming out of lockdown, in coming out of lockdown, that gives us permission in a fresh way to share what God has done with us and lead people into the newness of life that he promises. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Would you even today fill us afresh where we've ignored you, where we've sidelined you, where we have not welcomed you. We ask for your forgiveness. We ask though today that you would empower us and in every single circumstance and place we find ourselves, would you give us a holy boldness and in that be aware of your peace. And in that, find ourselves walking in the steps of Jesus in how we are around other people and not relying upon ourselves for not by might, not by power, but by your spirit, Lord. May we witness for your goodness and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.